Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I woke with the key to hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. I want to begin this morning by talking about a saying that is very common, and I think it's flimsy and it's not true. But I bet you you've said it, you've heard it said. Um, you've heard it on the schoolyard. Maybe your parents gave you this advice. Especially pops up, we talk to it about our kids when they get bullied in school. And I've heard it from football coaches. I've heard it from public figures. I've heard it in pop songs. I've seen it on the social media. Everybody knows the phrase, ready? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know the phrase, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, uh, but words will never hurt me. And I get what the point of the phrase is, right? Like if someone calls you a name, it's not the same thing as being like punched in the face or punched in the gut. Uh, It's a different sort of woundedness. But I think we all know that words actually do have the power to hurt someone in non-physical ways. Maybe you had a teacher in school who kind of had it out for you and didn't like you. And in a moment of exasperation, this teacher said something uh, cruel and crushing, like um, maybe using words like stupid or impossible or waste of time. A teacher saying those things can um, set a student back for a very, very, very long time. And if it hasn't been you to experience it, maybe you know someone who did experience that in their life. It leads to a difficult life for someone who doesn't believe they can succeed in school. I once knew a teen girl whose parents obsessed over matters of weight. And they would quietly point out the body image flaws present in other family members and other friends, other church members, even strangers. Once they were out of earshot, Um, they would say something about the person's body weight. And so is there any any, uh, surprise that this teenager developed some significant body image issues, um, developed a number of eating disorders, and had to go to inpatient treatment to deal with them because they were destroying her body, right? The, The words there, the words, they mean something. They can wound, they can make us sick. Uh, The TV show Scrubs, which is a comedy in the early 2000s that took place in a hospital, um, they joked the difference between being wounded by words and being wounded by sticks and stones is that physical wounds could be cured by a cast and some time. And eventually those physical wounds would be better again, but sadly they're in the hospital. There's nothing they can do. There's no medical treatment for wounds which come from words. It's the power of words. Oscar Wilde, the great sort of hedonistic British writer, wrote in a novel, uh, his novel, A Portrait of Dorian Gray, that words have power. He said this, words, mere words, how terrible they were, how clear and vivid and cruel. One could not escape from them, mere words. Was there anything so real as words? It's sort of a bit of a joke that Oscar Wilde, the writer, is saying that the words are more real than anything else. Uh, that even though we are a flesh and blood intangible, the intangible substance of words may do more to help us understand reality than anything else. 
But Wilder knew that words have another power too. The subtle magic is there in them, he wrote. They seem to be able to give a plastic form to formless things and to have a music of their own as sweet as that of a viola or a lute. Words aren't just harmful, of course, right? Words can be sort of musical in their blessing. Remember the first time someone ever told you, I love you? A romantic partner, perhaps? Um, what a rush that was. Or what about the time they called your name when you came forward to get your diploma? That was it, no turning back. Your name had been called, and you walked forward in your cap and gown to take that which signified a great blessing to you. If words can wound forever, perhaps words can bless forever too. A word of love or affirmation can lift you to the seventh heaven in the same way that a word of spite or rejection can throw you into the lowest hell. I think that's true. And I know this sounds a little abstract, but the Bible actually has a lot to say about the power of words. At the very beginning of the Bible, in fact, the first chapter, Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. And what does he do? He uses his words. God says, let there be light. And there was light. So there's something about the word of God that makes things happen. Words have creative power. In fact, um, in uh, Isaiah, what ends up happening is uh, there's a, a great word from the prophet where he says, um, grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Again, back to words lasting forever. And Jesus himself is described in John 1 as what? He is the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That famous passage that describes how Jesus um, is the very full and real representation of God walking around uh, in sandaled feet. And St. James reminds us that our words have the power um, of forest fires. That's what words can do. Uh, he says that, oh, uh, the tongue is like a match lit in a dry forest. And the fire that comes of it is a metaphor for the damage a tongue can do. The Bible talks a lot about words. Words matter in life. Words matter in the Bible. And today, Paul is going to try to convince you, St. Paul in our reading today is going to try to convince you that words are so powerful that words don't just curse, words don't just bless, Words can save. Words can save. Words don't just curse. Words don't just bless, but the right words can save. So we're going to talk about this morning, the saving uh, task that some words have. That's the gist behind our reading in Romans 10, isn't it, right? The book of Romans, this very dense, theological, one of the more academic books of the Bible. Paul is writing to this church in Rome, of course. And while he's writing to this church in Rome, he's giving them a great theological treatise about what is the nature of the gospel? And the broad strokes of it is this. Paul says there's two ways you can relate with God. You can be perfect and obey all the rules, and God will accept that, and you can be right with God. That's one way to do it. Problem is, is it's impossible, and no one's ever done it. Uh, so you can't really succeed doing that. So Paul says, but what you can do is you can do um, look at what Jesus' uh, death and resurrection accomplished on the cross, and you can repent of your sins and tell God, I'm sorry. And then you can be in right relationship with God that way. Um, that's the very dense version of the book of Romans, that if you want to be in relationship with God, you can either be perfect and it won't work, or you can say, I'm sorry, and that will work. And that's what Paul wants to get at with his reading. And he's talking about this message. He's talking about himself as a Jewish believer. He, he has uh, Jewish ancestry. He says, so many of my brothers and sisters in the Jewish people think 
They can be perfect and get God's love that way, and it just doesn't work, and it breaks Paul's heart. He says, someone has to tell them that the way to God is not to be perfect, but the way to God is to say, I'm sorry. And so he, Romans chapter 10, he expresses this frustration that he says, look, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Summary, right? If you can say, I'm sorry for your sins and believe Jesus rose from the dead, you don't need to be perfect to get close to God. He goes on to say, for scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So he says, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the beginning of our reading from Romans chapter 10. And notice how much that passage is filled with language about words and speech. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Everyone who calls, right, calls to speak out and shout out, calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, notice all of the, the language in here about words. Words spoken out loud play a role in being saved by God in heaven from the wickedness of the world and the wickedness of, of forces in the spiritual world aligned against God. And words even work against our own uh, inclined in, and, and bent towards wickedness um, that we see in ourselves. Fair enough. Um, but Paul goes on to say this. He says, if we want someone to believe... Um, someone's got to tell them about it. Someone's got to actually tell them about it. Someone has to understand what it is to believe in the Christian gospel, and then it has to be verbally communicated to another person so that they can believe as well. Here's what he says later on in the, re in the letter. He says, How will they then call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith, and he says at the end of the reading, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So for someone to be saved in this passage, right, he's talking about what does it mean to be saved. Um, he talks about something entering the ear, going down into the heart, and being so profoundly transformative that it comes back up out of the mouth. That's the, the vision that Paul has for, for preaching and for hearing this word and for people experiencing a change of heart. It goes in the ear, to the heart, out the mouth, is what that looks like. Think of it this way, right? Imagine, if you will, a game of charades, but you've done the very silly thing of trying to play this game of charades in a part of the world where people just don't know the Christian gospel very well, okay? So like, I don't know, like rural Kazakhstan, <laughs> um, right? Let's go to rural Kazakhstan, or maybe rural Indonesia and play a game of charades. And, of course, there's lots of things you could probably play charades with, right? You know, like driving a car um, or, or, like, farming, you know. We could all get those. But imagine you drew out of the fishbowl for charades, you drew the Christian gospel. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. How do I communicate the Christian gospel when I can't use my words? And so maybe you could get part of, like, the Eden story, right? You're like, snake, you know, apple, you know, um, uh, something like that. You might be able to get something along those lines. Um, but if you don't have an audience who knows the story, well, it's not going to work. You're not going to win that round of charades, certainly, right? How do you put Jesus' death and resurrection into a, into a game of charades? You just can't. It's something that has to be spoken verbally. I mean, people have to hear it. Our words, um, friends, are important. God cares very deeply about words. 
And these words, this word about Jesus' death and resurrection, his promise to come and fix the world and the forgiveness of sins to everybody, those words, says Paul in our reading today, um, they need to be spoken so that people can hear them and have their hearts transformed and then share that news themselves. It's the importance of words. A couple of, of, of observations about the importance of words. First, I want to say a word about nature, right? Maybe someone you know says that they don't go to church because they find God in nature. And so while we're here this morning, of course, people are out kayaking. Maybe not today, it's a little icy out, but they're out kayaking or they're out ice fishing or they have uh, maybe a spiritual moment on the golf course. Um, maybe when they're running, they're outside getting that runner's high, experiencing a workout. Um, and so people will say that when they spend time in nature or the natural world, they find God's fingerprints on creation. And then they're able to have some sort of moment of reflection to the creator and say, thank you for that. Um, but you can tell a lot about God. This is true about the way the world is made. You can tell that God is big. You can tell that God is powerful. You can tell that God is orderly. You can tell that God is smart. But what you can't figure out just from looking at the world, what you can't figure out um, is that God is good or that God is love, just looking at the worry the world is, um, right? Because you can look at nature and say, oh, it's very beautiful and it's very serene and I love the mountains, but then you also have to reckon with the fact that you have these natural things like tsunamis and earthquakes and, you know, knock on wood, you know, like pandemics, right? That's a natural thing in the world. And so the same mountain that gives you awe comes in the same world as the same um, world as, a, as an earthquake or a tsunami or pandemic. So when you look at nature, it, you don't necessarily get to the place that God is good unless God has told you that's the case beforehand so you can give that kind of greater appreciation. And so um, I wish I was bold. I'm such a wishy-washy guy sometimes. I wish I was bold enough to like, you know, make enemies, but I'm really a chicken. Because when some folks do, they say, oh, well, you know, I'm off of the golf course on Sunday morning or I'm, I'm doing all this you know, other thing. I'm kayaking or whichever. And that's where I meet God in the morning. I said, well... I don't want to poke you here, but I think you might be confusing like exercise endorphins with the love of God. Um, and they're not, they're not the same thing. They're different. Like we're not having the same experience when we talk about the natural world around us and enjoying that and like understanding the love of God in our life. Um, I, that's kind of mean and judgmental. Like who am I to know what someone else is experiencing? I understand that, but you know, I don't look like it, but I've done exercising before. I know what it's like to go out on a trail and see a beautiful mountain. And I'm here to say that's really wonderful and it's really great, but that's not what I experience when I experience the love of God. Those are different things. So that's a word about nature, right? Like nature speaks to some aspects of God, but we just don't know the other aspects of God apart from God speaking them to us. Now a word about, uh, that was a word about nature. Now here's a word about St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah. St. Francis. Now, why am I talking about St. Francis? Well, there is a quote that has made the rounds in church circles that is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, right? Most of you know St. Francis. He's the monk uh, that's in all of the garden statue stores, okay? And he's got like birds on his arms. And, and really, his life was not all about like happiness and animals, right? There was a lot more to St. Francis than that. Um, but there's a phrase attributed to St. Francis, which goes like this, preach the gospel, Use words if necessary. Anybody heard that, that phrase before? I see some nodding heads. Okay. Um, and the idea behind that phrase is this, that Christians are going to be this sort of light in the world. They're going to do things differently. And then people are going to recognize how different they are. And they're going to recognize this goodness. And that they'll just sort of follow Jesus and follow in you know, 
follow and join churches and do this sort of thing because of all the goodness that is being radiated out from our good works. And it's okay, so it's a popular quote, but I'm going to tell you three sad things about it. First, St. Francis never said it. Um, his biographers have gone through every writing we have from him. He, he didn't actually say it. It's nowhere in his writings. Uh, in fact, the biographers of St. Francis will say, like, that doesn't even match up to anything St. Francis ever said. Like, there's no even, like, connection of the dots between this is something that he could have said maybe. It's like, no, he, he never said it. The closest thing he did say was that um, preachers also should preach with their deeds. And what he meant by that in context was, you know, don't preach peace and go out and start punching people in the face. Like, have some integrity, right? That's, that's what he said. In fact, second thing he said, he, the reason why this is such a weird thing, preach the gospel, use words as necessary. It, it, the Franciscan order that followed him, right, the, the sort of people who lived under the rule of St. Francis, the monks who took under his lifestyle, it was developed as a preaching order. So these monks would go from town to town and they'd take vows of poverty and they'd you know, bunk with people and say prayers with people and they'd preach on Sundays. They'd do all of these things. Um, and they were there to preach. They were there to speak a word about peace and God's love to a late medieval world that was marked by some violence and, and chaos. And then the third thing I think behind this quote, use words if necessary, what I hope to impress upon you this morning is the Bible says words are actually necessary. Um, that people aren't going to understand the gospel unless we actually say Jesus rose from the dead and he's coming to fix the world and there's forgiveness of sins uh, aplenty. So our good works do a lot, right? They can open up conversations about faith. Um, they, can, they can sort of supplement the things that we talk about if we live with integrity. So yes, like I'm not here to throw good works under the bus. What I want to be able to say is we can't just nice people into the kingdom of heaven. You're all very nice people, every single one of you here, and I genuinely mean that. Um, it's just we have to talk about Jesus and speak these things with our mouths if we want to see people's hearts transformed. So if you know somebody who you want to come to know Jesus or, or you, know, you know somebody you want to come join the church, at some point, at some way, someone's going to have to speak about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it's going to have to go in their ear through their heart so that it can come back out of their mouths. So that's an observation about St. Francis, an observation about nature. One final observation, and we'll conclude this morning. And it's about the power of words, specifically God's words. If our words can bless and curse and save, right, um, going in the ear, through the heart, and out the mouth, imagine the power of God's word, of God's words, plural. God's words created the cosmos, God's words shake mountains. God's words thunder in the heavens. But some of God's words are actually really mundane in their delivery, even if they're very powerful in their result. Think of Jesus as he is pulled away by a synagogue leader whose daughter is sick and ill in the bed. And he says, Jesus, come quick. My daughter is dying. And Jesus says, yeah, let's go. And then he gets interrupted on the way and he finally arrives and they say, Jesus, you're too late. Your daughter is dead. And what does Jesus do? He goes up to the, the little girl, and, and you know what he does, right? He just speaks two words. The Aramaic is uh, Tabitha Kumi, Talitha Kumi. And just by speaking these very simple words, the dead girl returns to life, rises, and stands up. Literally, the words are um, in Aramaic, little girl, I say to you, arise, is the translation. And you know what she does? She speaks the words, and she gets up. 
The word of God, this very simple word coming from the mouth of Jesus, has a power that transcends everything. Think of the same thing with the, the, the body of Lazarus. Jesus arrives at Lazarus. Um, we, he gets there too late to heal him, and so he shows up, and they're in the middle of a week-long wake. Everyone's crying. Everyone's very sad. And Jesus is so swept up, he starts to weep himself. And they say, uh, Jesus, if you could have been here, you could have done, some, done something. And Jesus is just weeping with everybody. And finally, Jesus says angrily, he says, take me to the tomb. And they roll away the stone. And you'll notice Jesus doesn't enter this, the tomb. He doesn't, you know, he says some prayers up in heaven. But then he says, Lazarus, come out. And then you get this great mummy scene where he's still kind of wrapped up in his clothes, like coming out like, hi guys, I'm back. Very simple words, and yet God's plan for this world um, and, and all of these beautiful, miraculous things come through the words of God to these people. People are raised from the dead by the word of God. And that's true literally and it's true spiritually. It's true for you. Um, that the word of God exists and God has spoken and said, you too, will one day rise from the dead, just like Lazarus and just like um, this little girl. And except, of course, when that comes, there will be no death again. And so I wonder what it would look like for you to hear a word from God this morning. What would it look like for you to hear a word from God? Is there something you've got kind of in your craw and you're kind of itching to hear God speak about? Um, is there something in your life that's, that's kind of got you um, uh, stuck or frustrated? Is there a place in your life where you're experiencing um, a, a deep resentment because you just can't move forward? I wonder what it would look like for you to hear a word from God in the middle of that. I wonder what it would look like to hear that same voice that's, that raises the dead and created the cosmos. What would it look like for you to hear a word like that for you specifically in like the next week? Um, I'm going to tell you when we get downstairs at my retreat when I was away, um, I was able to spend some time in, in prayer and in guided prayer. Um, and uh, I heard a number of words from God. God spoke to me about a number of things. And I spent like three days in my retreat just a blubbering mess because God spoke to these places in my heart that were wounded and needed healing. And with the help of some uh, guided prayer and some time away, um, I was able to experience a real uh, transformation, a real healing because of that. And I wonder what that would look like for you to hear a word of God to your deep um, and, and, and wounded place in your spirit, uh, in your soul. What would it look like to hear a word of resurrection in your life? Um, while we are waiting for God to hear these things, uh, for God to speak to us, what I will give you in the meantime is things God has already said. Um, perhaps that can get us uh, to where God can open us up and place something in our hearts for us. Here are some things that God has already said about you and your life. I am with you always until the end of the age. He's with you always. Um, he says, everyone who believes in me will never be put to shame. That's what's in our reading today. Got any shame in your life? Something in your past? Something in your closet? Like, you'll never be put to shame by the God who is always with you. Your sins are so far removed from you as far as the east is from the west. God has said that. There's nothing in your life that can disqualify you from the love of God. No act that you have done, no thing that has been done by you will ever be held against you in the courts of heaven. But this one, there will be no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. 
um, that God himself will wipe away every tear from your eye. All of these things that are terrible for the world will one day pass away. God said it, friends. And maybe perhaps this one for me today was the most comforting. He says, friends, take heart. I have overcome the world. So whatever is happening in the world today, in your world, in my world, anywhere in between, Jesus has overcome that for us. Um, these are words that have the power to save. They point to a God who loves the world so much that he gave his only son to save it. That Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, his promise to come fix the world, uh, and his uh, offer to the forgiveness of sins to anyone who asks for it. These are the words that point to that reality that might just enter into our ears afresh, change our hearts again, and lead us to once again confess that Jesus is indeed Lord. So I'm going to pray for all of us this week. Uh, as we close, I'm going to pray that God would speak to all of us in some meaningful way, um, that our hearts would be changed and transformed uh, by the grace of God and by a word from him. I'm going to pray that right now. Father God, um, we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. And I uh, pray today for everyone here, myself included, uh, every um, grandparent and parent and child, uh, every single person uh, within this space, this hallowed chapel, I pray, Father God, that you would speak to us all, that you would bring forward for us uh, the gift of your word, um, that we might know ourselves better and know your love even more as a result. Speak to us, we ask, with saving words. Enliven our spirits again as we remember the gospel in its fullness and empower us that we are not afraid to confess it to the world around us and that faith may come through hearing this word. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday a thief, on Sunday Pennsylvania.